What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to what the if puppy dog edition puppy in the house. Matt, would you like to introduce the newest member of the cast this morning? Uh, well, if you listen carefully here. You hear the sound of paper being chewed. That's my new puppy, Freya. Um, uh, slowly destroying all of the paper in my office. Um, so I should say, if you sent me a manuscript that I'm supposed to be reading, um, my dog is destroying it. So. <laughs> your dog is eating your homework yeah, right that's, now. That's literally, yeah. <laughs> my teacher's dog ate my homework. <laughs> <laughs> and how old is Freya? How many months? Uh, Freya is three months old. Three months. Um, so still definitely a puppy. And of but she's unknown, already pretty big. She is yeah. already pretty big and going to get bigger, I suspect. Uh, yeah, she is of unknown parentage. Um, we sent one of those uh, DNA tests in, but I'm pretty sure they just use ChatGPT to randomly <laughs> um, come up with possibilities for that. So. I didn't know you could do that. You mean like a like an Ancestry.com for dogs? Exactly, yep. Um, wow. I'm pretty like I'm pretty sure they don't actually do any testing. Um, right, they just give you a, a random melange of stuff. Just like descended from Beowulf or something. That's well, yeah, <laughs> some some kind of destructive monster. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. And that that human you do hear was uh, Matt Stanley, professor, uh, historian of science at New York University, and master of Freya. Although at the moment, perhaps, yeah, not especially mastery. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Squire of the Freya. <laughs> Sounds more like it. Yeah. Yes. Also with us, uh, Gabby Panicia, um, bio biologist, virologist, and biologist. Yes, yeah, a subset of biology. Subset at uh, Rockefeller University. How are you? You have a monster as well, you were telling us. Well, yeah, the monster was an experiment that took like four hours to set up and then had time points at multiple hours of the day and then all across the weekend it was a pain but <laughs> hopefully i can get some good data out of it because it's one of those experiments that like i collected a lot of stuff to just analyze it 26 different ways to sunday and then if it actually the biggest hurdle is making sure that it worked and then from there i can do a bunch of fun stuff with the the output that i get that's cool but uh step one Figure out what what is time points? Does that mean you have to go in there at those times? or mm -hmm. what, Yeah. So you have to collect samples at those specific times. And oh, right. what time points a field takes can be heavily dependent on what they're working with. Mm. So like for me and sort of virology, if you're working on a virus that replicates pretty fast, you want to take pretty quick time points because if you wait two, three days, everything is going to be dead. So I took like 6, 12, 24, and 48-hour time points where I collected, you know, both cells, I lysed those, and then also any virus that was in the supernatant, essentially the liquid that's on the cells. Wow. But uh, the earliest version of this experiment was every six hours. So it was a 6, 12, 24, mm -hmm. 6, 12, 18, 24, an 18-hour time point is the one that really, really sucks Ooh. when you have like a six-hour time point or something like that because it's uh, it would have been like, four in the morning if I actually had to do that one. And that's not a fun time to be in the BSL-3, all, you know, suited up, working oh with God. pathogens. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm, I'm trying to have the right image. Are Would you, Sam, are you taking these out of beakers? Oh, no, no, no. Most of my, none of my work is done in beakers and test tubes, by and oh. large. These are in tissue culture plates. So they're essentially uh, these rectangular spaces where in them are these circular insets that we call wells. That are like flat on the bottom and we could put cells on and the cells will adhere to the flat part. And then because it's a well, we can fill it up with like a, some liquid, but each well is separate from each other. So you can do essentially different parts of the experiment in each well and you can have multiple plates. So each experiment for me this time was in 96 well plates. So they're really small, but there's a lot of them. 
And then I had like four plates per time point, three or four, and then four time points. And I collected two sets of samples from each. So you can see rapidly how this balloons into a large amount of science mm -hmm. that I have yeah. to now process. Because wow. it's not enough to do the experiment. You have to get a readout on the experiment that you yeah. did. That's very cool. And, and you still, do you know, did, did you succeed in doing what you wanted to do? I believe it worked. Yeah. But I have to check. I had the stupid, frustrating experience of doing all of my measurements and thinking that it didn't work and doing this assay that took like a whole day and running it once and then running it twice because I was like, nothing worked. I should really check and make sure that nothing worked. And then I opened up the machine I was using to do the readout and noticed that the wrong cable was plugged in. So it wasn't actually able uh, to read my samples, which is why I had no uh, signal. So I thought it wasn't going to work. Uh, once I changed the cables, I took a really old plate that like the signal was already falling off on. So I couldn't trust it reliably, but it had signal. And I was like, okay. There's something here. Oh, good. So I am probably not 100% the problem, hopefully. <laughs> it might still be a little bit bad, but there might be something I can salvage from it. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All right. Well, speaking of experiments, we have, we have an incredible thought experiment of the week coming up in just a moment. But first, we are going to check in. It's been a long time since we've done this. We're checking in with the mailbag. Oh, this is the music because we're going out to the mailbox. Across a, a beautiful field of wheat mm -hmm. or some such or corn, and uh, in the mailbag, opening the mailbag, very exciting news. We have a new patron, a new Patreon member, Connie, has joined us. Connie, thank you for becoming our newest member, our newest Patreon. Connie has joined at the cosmic vortex level, mm. so that is fantastic. I forget what uh, what Connie gets at the at the cosmic vortex level. Um, Enlightenment. Uh, yeah, you get uh, some kind of murder. I'll I'll try to check that uh, later. Um, but uh, I'm sure it's exciting. But you know, the best gift of all is that she simply gets to support science, and we appreciate that. It's certainly the best gift for us is having Connie's support. And um, Connie, as a patron, um, a Patreon member gets uh, also bonus episodes, bonus extended episodes uh, that we record after every show exclusively for our Patreon members. So when the show ends for the regular members, it keeps going only for the super club of super ifers. And so uh, you want to find out more about all these exciting things, you want to join Connie and join Dan, who jo joined us last week, all the new Patreon members, Patreon. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com patreon.com slash what the if check it out and we also have speaking of our new our new member dan who joined uh, a few weeks ago dan uh writes in um he enjoyed the uh, missed uh episode that uh, matt you and i did i believe that was uh last time and that was uh inspired inspired by dan's suggestion so dan, if you write in with an idea as we have, uh, in fact, we have a new idea from our audience coming up. Um, if you write in with an idea, you also become a super ifer. And um, Dan had suggested, Dan is a fan of the video game Myst, M-Y-S-T, of which I have been making a documentary. And um, he had suggested, he said, what if the world were like the video game Myst? In the video game Myst, there are these magical books. You touch the book, you get teleported to another world. What if the world were like that? And, and we ran with that. Check out that episode there on your podcast app. Scroll back or go to our website, whattheif.com. And Dan writes, truly the highlight of this missed episode for me was learning that Matt is a Voyager fan. That's exciting. So I, it must be Star Trek Voyager. Is that what, oh, what yes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. I made a Janeway reference. Uh, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Janeway, the best. And uh, yeah, she was my favorite captain. Um, I have met a few people for whom that is the case. I think yeah. I um, uh, Voyager came on too late for me to be a, a major Voyager fan. So right. um, Picard is really my uh, my primary captain. Yeah. Yes, and it's a t when I say my favorite, it's a close hmm. close contest. But um, and uh, and Dan goes on and he says uh, Matt is also he was also. Uh, he enjoyed learning that Matt is an OG Minecrafter. 
<laughs> that is correct. Original, original gangster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dan says, I have been modding Java Minecraft. Java? Is that running? The you run Minecraft language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. in Java? Um, is that as opposed to like just booting it up in Windows or something? You run it in Java? Um, so Minecraft was originally programmed in Java. Oh, um, so, uh, which Got makes it. it easy to, to mod. Ah, oh, I see, I see. So he says, I've been modding Java Minecraft as a hobby for several years, mostly to create add-ons for the Mistcraft mod. Ah, so there is a Mist... Hmm. Always uh, a Mist connection. Mistcraft mod in Minecraft. So both video game universes go hand-in-hand in, hand in my book. Indeed. Thank you, nice. Dan. Thank you, Dan. That was wonderful. We also got um, a couple of wonderful notes uh, sent to us from Martin, and I believe everybody seems to prefer contacting us, and you can too if you go to our website, whattheif.com. There's a little contact page there. You can just write some text and say who you are and hit send. seems to be the preferred way to, to, to reach us. And Martin did that. Martin writes in and says, uh, Hi there. Uh, a brief comment. Oh, this is so back. Gabby, you had asked. This contest is now closed. This experiment has been run. But uh, Gabby, you were. Um, I guess it was around the end of the year, you were collecting, um, you were looking for, you were asking people for their highlights of their favorite episodes mm-hmm. for, for something you, you submitted. Um, and what do we know? Do, do we know what happened with that? I'm not going to find out until the fall. <laughs> okay. So you, but you submitted for a mm-hmm. uh, science, science communication, communication award. Mm-hmm. Yes. Award. We hope we get that. And so in, in helping out there, Martin had written in and he had said, uh, a uh, brief comment about my uh, favorite or most useful episode from 2022. I really liked the Fusion Fiesta episode, <laughs> which was uh, extremely useful in gauging uh, all the in- incoming enthusiasm and skepticism about Fusion tech. So he, and he goes on. He, says he, has a, he has a personal connection to Fusion. Um, I'm listening. Martin says he's listening in from Frankfurt, or Frankfurt, I suppose you would say, Germany. And if I remember correctly, I listened to the first What the If. Uh, I, I think I had asked Martin how did he found out about the show, and he says, I, I listened to the first What the If uh, based on someone's recommendation after I started watching For All Mankind, which was a uh, very popular sh- uh, show on Apple TV about if the, what if the Russians um, beat us to the moon back in the 60s, uh, produced by Ronald Moore, who had done Battlestar Galactica. And... Uh, and he said, uh, what the if had a show tie-in on the topic. Yes, I suppose we did. You know what happens is, it, the, it, as soon as we record an episode, I immediately forget the episode entirely. So, I'm guessing somewhere. I think, do I hear kibbles being served? I'm afraid so. I'm hungry. That yeah. sounded great. <laughs> I felt like I was on a flight all of a sudden. We're now serving kibble in the cabin. <laughs> um, and, uh, and Martin says uh, Martin says he was turned on to us because uh, he had been watching For All Mankind, and someone uh, recommended, "Hey, you should check out What the If." They've got an episode inspired by that uh, show, um, and uh, so he did. And then uh, Martin says, in, "In my real life, I work for an industrial gas company who has a small contribution—not me personally, though—to <laughs> the ITER ITER fusion project in Europe." Are you familiar with that, Matt, the IT? Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, they provide, uh, oh, his company, Martin's company, provides a refrigeration. Hence uh, my interest in the episode, which I also shared with some colleagues. So thank you for that, Martin. I hope they enjoyed it as well. Now, here's the very, here's the exciting thing. So he ends by suggesting an if, uh, something for us to uh, have difficult time points as in mm-hmm. as we run the experiment. And he says, P.S., uh, my chemically motivated idea for an if, it's chemically motivated, is how the earth or the universe would change if water doesn't have the anomaly of having the highest density at plus four degrees Celsius. And then I like Martin, he begins to evaluate his proposal and he says, boring? Maybe. But it means that open water would freeze from the top to the bottom, giving primordial life at the ground better chances to survive. So 
having, I've simply just loaded that up uh, and uh, I'm going to let that stew in your brain for a moment as we queue up the fanfare. Uh, and Matt, can you help us understand why do we have to, um, you know, we can, why can't we just go? Why can't we just run with this? Here's an idea. We'll go run, but oh, it's, not, it's not safe. Because we're changing reality here and changing yes. reality is a dangerous business. Um, That's right. I mean, it's dangerous to just change your socks sometimes, um, but now <laughs> we're changing the very nature of socks. Yes. Um, so uh, proper preparation is a must. Um, safety first, as they say. Safety first. And uh, there, and Freya is. I'm just going to give color commentary as we go. Freya is now being attempted to be prevented from jumping on the air conditioner and the windowsill. And uh, Gabby, I, as I always say, remember your pepper, um, mm-hmm. and and your full hazmat gear. And we ask, what the if nothing happened? What, oh, that's the worst, the worst music cue ever. See, that was unsafe. It's unsafe. This is why we need our protocols. And again, we try and we ask, what the if? Water did not have its highest density at plus four degrees Celsius. Say it isn't so. Martin tells us water would freeze from the top to the bottom, giving primordial life at the ground better chances to survive. What in the world does this mean? I ask. Uh, Matt, would you like to help us? Help us begin to grapple with uh, this mighty. um, All right. So there's two um, two bits of. well, I guess physics here, um, or chemistry, that intersect in an interesting way. So normally, um, when so you know, substances have different phases. Usually, there's there's three traditional phases: um, solid, liquid, and gas. And uh, solid is the densest, and then liquid is less dense, and then gas is the the least dense state. Right. And that would be ice, like ice, water, mm. and steam, as we um, yeah, ice, um, liquid, and steam, and uh, that's and you can think of this um, in in a pretty straightforward way that if everything's made of of molecules, um, the different phases are how closely connected the molecules are. So for a gas, the molecules essentially aren't interacting with each other at all. They're just zooming around doing their own thing. Um, So it's very not dense because the molecules can just go wherever they want. Um, And then liquids, um, they're loosely connected to each other. Uh, so, um, they can stay together, they, they stay together, um, but you can move them around and change the shape, say. Um, and then with solids, they're very closely connected to each other in a, a rigid, um, uh, structure usually. So they're closely packed. Um, so that's kind of the, the basic intuitive way of thinking about the, the different phases of things. And that's, and that's fine. Um, and that's true for most stuff. Um, the weird thing about water is that uh, it achieves its maximum density um, not at its coldest state, um, but rather while it's still um, a liquid, right? At, at four degrees Celsius instead uh. of zero. Um, and this has the the reason for this is a particular quirk of the structure of the um, uh, the water molecule that we don't need to to get into. And frankly, I don't understand the chemistry well enough to, to actually <laughs> talk about it. Um, I think on our list of, of possible ifs has been for, for, some, for many years now, um, what if the water molecule is less polar? And I just don't. Oh, yes. Know. That was from, <laughs> so we'll was from to, Bill. We'll have, to, Shout yeah, out we'll to, have Bill. to have a guest chemist on someday to actually do that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, but it's related to, to this, essentially. Huh. Um, and you wouldn't um, uh, think that this is a particularly significant uh, thing. Um, but what this, uh, this has a funny quirk, which is that um, solid water, that is ice, is less dense than water, than, than liquid water. Okay. Um, and uh, this is the other little bit of basic uh, physics, is that less dense things are, um, will float in more dense things. Uh. Um, 
So uh, this is why, you know, wood floats in water because uh, wood is less dense than water. So you get this, this buoyancy effect. Um, So for most substances, since solids are the densest form, um, the, uh, the solid form of that material will sink in the liquid form of that material. Um, and that's the, the, the basic behavior you would expect. Um, but for water, this means that ice will float in liquid water, um, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a, a, a weird quirk, right? There are very few substances in the universe, um, for which that happens but um, it's so common yeah. it doesn't seem weird at all like we're using well this is the, this is a funny thing that we should probably get into is we care about this because we are mostly bags of water um and we live near water and interact with it a lot so its particular behaviors are really important to us mm-hmm. and so uh um he mentions, and this sounds like it transitions into perhaps Gabby territory. Martin mentions uh, this is important and not boring. Martin is telling us <laughs> because uh, open water freezes from the top to the bottom. Or he's saying, anyway. I think what he's saying is, if in his strange world where water did not have the highest density at four degrees Celsius, uh, that open water f- would freeze from the top to the bottom giving primordial life at the ground better chances to survive. So what is, what is Martin talking about there? So water does freeze essentially like top to bottom. So you have okay. like the top layer that freezes, but there's still liquid water underneath. Right. Um, so that's actually, a, a, like Matt said, an interesting quirk of water. That what you wind up with is an ice layer on top, but because that's frozen there's usually a, a liquid layer underneath, especially the deeper the water, the cold doesn't penetrate as far. So life has been able to survive and adapt to very cold conditions, especially, you know, like fish, because they'll sort of go maybe into a lower metabolic state if their environment isn't frozen all the time. Um, some fish can produce like antifreeze proteins is what they're called, wow. that essentially help them survive cold environments. It's Part of why, like, fish are susceptible to, like, heat shock. I don't know if anybody in the audience has ever, like, run an aquarium. It's why they say that you should acclimate your fish to, like, you know, put the bag, float the bag in the tank for a couple of hours before you put the fish in because the temperature difference will shock them. But gradually over time with the changing of the seasons, they can sort of shift to the cold and start producing the antifreeze proteins. (laughs) So life has been able to adapt to the fact that even though it's cold under the water, they're not frozen in a block of ice. Uh, maybe some of you have seen, and I keep bringing up fish just because they're, I think, the most visible example of this, but I'm sure plenty of you have seen videos of, like, a cat on a pond that's iced over trying to chase, like, koi underneath of it. Because the oh, fish are perfectly yeah. fine. They're, they're mm-hmm. you know, they've adapted to the cold, they're in their winter mode, and there is still liquid water underneath. So the idea of this, however, though, is that that wouldn't happen. The ice wouldn't float to the top. It wouldn't stay at the top. It wouldn't put that protected shell of cold, but still liquid water underneath of it. And instead, you would just have fish encased in ice. Right, right. And in fact, uh, we believe that the entire moon of Europa, a moon of Jupiter, is uh, looks like a solid moon, uh, you know, covered completely in ice uh, from the outside. But we believe, uh, using you know satellites that we've sent there we've discovered that there is liquid water underneath the ice as there, as there isn't on earth. Um, it's very, very deep. So it's difficult for us to get a probe there, but they're going to try. Um, so yeah, this is very interesting. So, um, this goes all the way back to perhaps the origin of life. Would this be, or. I don't know. I mean, I don't know, Matt, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is the origin of life was pretty warm. Or mm, it was mm, deep yeah. ocean hydrothermal mm-hmm. vents, right, which are right. also pretty warm, but a very different environment. Mm-hmm. So it probably would have affected things. It definitely would have affected things later. And I'm sure during some ice age periods where things cooled dramatically down and all of a sudden the range of things that were encased in ice was a larger swath of biodiversity. But I think as far as the origin of life, it wasn't subse- subjected to too much ice. Yeah, and I think that's the, the the sort of suggestion here is that if um, 
if we didn't have this protective layer of ice at the top, then we wouldn't have had much, uh, even with geothermal vents, we wouldn't have had much liquid water um, for life to mess around um, and, and evolve and form complex shapes. Um, so this, this quirk of water gives us this uh, seal to the top of, um, uh, of the, the heated water. Um, uh, that protects it. So say, I think Europa is probably an interesting uh, example for this because, of course, mm. space is really cold. Um, so if, uh, if there wasn't the protective layer of ice on top of that, then it would be frozen solid, essentially, maybe, you know, right. maybe a little bit liquid um, at the very bottom. Uh, but as is, we can imagine that's a, that's a whole moon of liquid water up there doing interesting things. Um, Which, so, by the way, would have more water than all of the water on Earth, I think I've heard. Even even though it's a small moon, the amount of water that would be there. Is oh, that's pretty cool. Actually. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know um, about... Uh, uh, the the actual way that life evolved here on Earth. And of course, we don't actually know that. Um, uh, but certainly, it would have been much different and uh, it would have created, um, let's see here, fewer opportunities for uh, complex life to have evolved. Um, and then even uh, even today, um, you know, if, if we suddenly change the properties of water, uh, today, so this wouldn't uh, happen anymore, and instead, um, bodies of water froze from the bottom up. Um, if you're a fish, then that's really bad news, right? um, because now you have nowhere to hide when it gets cold. Um, so essentially, uh, any body of water that can freeze uh, will freeze all the way through. Um, yeah. By which I'm saying, like, the Atlantic is never going to freeze, right? Right. Um, but uh, I don't know. The Hudson might, right? The Hudson might, might right. freeze and um, from yeah. the bottom up. And then that's no longer a place where anything can live for three months of the year. Right. Um, so that's kind of it for um, huge networks. But come spring, flight. we've got a lot of frozen fish, like a lot of fish sticks. Well, see, we have lots of frozen fish once, right? Yeah. But then the next year, there's no fish laying eggs anymore. Oh, right. Um, so we now have no more salmon, for instance, right? Oh, my goodness. No more lobster. And the bad yeah. quirk of biology, too, is that ice still expands in this. Oh. And ice expanding is sort of the enemy of cells. Cells are basically little bags of water. Oh, wow. And... A huge problem in biology is, is like freezing down cells uh, because you want to be able to save the mutant cells that you made that are somehow perfect for examining what you want to look at. And you have to put them in essentially a special media, a special liquid to freeze them down and you have to do it fast. So essentially in like in a very specific way, I actually don't know if it's fast. You have to freeze them in at like minus 80 in liquid ethanol because it will keep getting colder in a way that like water won't or like plastic won't. And it's essentially that if the water in the cells turns to ice and expands, it will pop the cell. So that's how it is now in our that's, regular That's still universe. how it is now. And this right. would still happen there too. Oh, so oh, anything oh. that is frozen is also going to probably be frozen in a way that sort of turns it to weird goop. <laughs> so like when it thaws back out, it's probably not going to be a really nice piece of fish, et cetera, even for the one time where it happens. Right. It would be exploded fish. All right. Yeah, it'd be a little uh, gross. Yeah, so that's uh, that's super interesting. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's right. Is um, uh, If you've ever had um, freezer-burned food, mm. um, that's because of this, essentially, um, mm -hmm. is the, the reason food tastes weird after it's been in the freezer is because the, the water inside the cells of the piece of meat or something um, freezes and bursts. And then when you bite into it, the texture is all weird because the cells don't have structure anymore. Um, so if you can imagine that happening to us, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Every time it gets cold outside, your cells explode. That would be very disappointing. Right? <laughs> um, but what we're saying is, you know, on either side of this thought experiment, in the thought experiment or outside the thought experiment, this is something that happens. 
that the, the expand the water would still ex- uh, ice would still well, this is true expand. and that is eventually frostbite ah. like you can get cold damage um and actually as a scientist i frequently do kind of frostbite my fingers because we have to go oh. in and out of minus 180 c or minus 80 c <laughs> wow. freezers wow um so you you do kind of experience that it's a little weird huh. but yeah it's it's already not a good situation. So the fact that life is now not having that protective water layer and is essentially getting chronically freezer burned if it wants to stay in any Arctic environment is no point. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's very, that's, I don't know, that's, that's super interesting to, uh, to me to think about that as a problem. Yeah, so if, you, if you're a homeowner um, and you ever had your pipes freeze, the reason pipes uh-huh. freezing is dangerous is essentially the same sort of thing, right? Um, right. Uh, because it, uh, unlike most substances, um, when water turns to a solid, it expands, um, because of this this weird quirk, and that's what busts your pipes. Um, so in the biological case, uh, it's what busts your cells too. Um, so it's even it's not even so much that we couldn't live in Arctic environments, but we couldn't live a- live anywhere where temperature gets down to uh, four degrees ever. Um, so I'm just I'm, I'm still a little yeah. confused. So in other words, let's see what what we're sa- what Martin is saying is what the if. Um, water does not have the highest density at plus four. So I guess what he's, in other words, what would that mean that it's, it's highest density? Then what would the normal expected thing would be? It would be like normal substances where the, the highest density is, um, when it turns solid and not when it's liquid. Right. So at below zero. Mm -hmm. Right. For for water. And if it did in this alternate universe where the highest density is, only when it's solid, does that mean it would not expand? Um, well, it would not expand in the same way. That's right, actually. So maybe there would be mm-hmm. your, your pipe. You don't have to worry about your pipes right. um, breaking in this universe. Uh, uh, where Because then the, um, the amount of volume occupied by the water will shrink when it freezes. Uh, so that could be quite nice, actually. So, so it might be a little is easier being a plumber in that world. Right. Um, and cells would, would not nice. burst then. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So cells mm-hmm. would just freeze, I guess. Um, I don't know quite what it means for a cell to freeze and not burst, actually. Is that a, is that a thing that we can make sense of, Gabby? I mean, so we do it all the time artificially. Uh, we do freeze cells down. We have to use uh, a mixture that has DMSO in it. I don't, I assume it changes something about the kinetics of freezing so that it doesn't expand too much. Hmm, okay. um, I'm kind of under this impression it might be one of those clear ice versus snow sort of situations where like how you freeze it, hmm. water, depending on how you freeze it, gets it looks different, has slightly different properties. So I think that might be affecting, like the DMSO might affect that. I, it's not something I've probed in, insanely okay. deeply. Uh, but now I'm trying to figure out exactly what that would mean for Okay, so if if it doesn't freeze, but now gets so, well, doesn't freeze less dense, but it gets solid. You are mm. still liquid, but essentially nothing is able to really diffuse. Does that sound normal? Mm, yeah, that sounds start, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I've mentioned before on the podcast that bodies are basically like all life is basically just water mm. and then salt in different gradients. We're just <laughs> bags of seawater. And the way that life controls all of the vast things that life does is by essentially changing the saltiness of the seawater with different ions and different different chemicals and making these things called concentration gradients. So you can think of like a temperature concentration gradient as like if you have your stove on and you move your hand towards your stove, it gets hotter. Don't do this at home. I chose a, a poor example. Um, but it gets hotter when you get there, like when you get closer to the generation of the heat. Similarly, there are things that will pump ions in or out of an area, the compartment of the cell. And so then you'll create this gradient where there's there's more salt in an area, less salt in another area. But the way things happen is by either forcing ions across that, something like active diffusion, or passive, letting them flow from 
you know, highest to lowest. If now all of the water, all of the liquid that, you know, these things are moving through in cells can just completely freeze solid, you're losing the ability to basically do any of your cellular processes. But because it doesn't expand, it seems like you might be able to thaw that back out. Easy. Interesting. Okay. You just have to be a small organism. This is why like cryogenics work on like hamsters and mice, oh. and I think rats, but not on people because of size uh-huh. and how fast everything can freeze as a unit. So like the frozen Neanderthal guy that they dig up, you know, in the tundra or something like that. He might come back to life. Yeah. If, I he mean, didn't burst because of his, uh, his cells would not have burst, perhaps. Yeah, there is. there are like decay kinetics to things, but they are yeah. slowed down by ice. It's why we have like a woolly mammoth like really well preserved because it just uh, slipped yeah. through the ice and has basically been refrigerated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this universe, maybe, I mean, if everything was universally frozen, right? Like right now, if you covered a person in ice, they would just die Mm. because Mm. nothing is able to, you know, they're not able to breathe, but all of their cells are still, you know, trying to move or popping from the cold. So essentially things are dying. But if you just were able to freeze completely through and it wouldn't pop your cells, yeah, maybe now thawing the Neanderthal out with a hair dryer is more reasonable, or you probably have to thaw them out all at once. So, sort of, I don't know. Do you do you microwave him? <laughs> it, it, that is the reason why yeah. microwaves were invented was yeah. thawing cryogenically frozen hamsters. Oh, really? That is a, what? Yes. I. I, I I, I was going to say, Matt, you're the historian. Do you do you know? I more do not of this know the story. No, but okay. I have been many times disappointed by my poorly thought out hamster. So. <laughs> my understanding, God, I watched, I read up on this a long time ago. Uh, but like I mentioned, that cryogenics work better on smaller animals because you can freeze them all the way through. Mm-hmm. There were all of these older cryogenics experiments, but they were having trouble thawing the animals back out because I think the original setup was like two heated paddles on either side of it, but they had to get them really close. So it would like burn some of them, which is not really great. And then, so I think what wound up happening is they, they, they hit upon using microwave radiation. So like they made like a cobbled together Faraday cage around it that then they would bombard microwaves through to reheat the hamsters, et cetera from being cryogenically frozen. And it was a very reliable method. But essentially, the the modern microwave, as in Faraday cage and the thing in the Uh, center being bombarded with microwaves, was invented to thaw hamsters. And I'm sure the scientists, you know, they immediately began using it to heat up their coffee, too. Yeah, in in typical fashion. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that's, so that's actually a, that's a pretty nifty idea that sort of long-term hibernation would suddenly be possible, um, just by sticking yourself in a freezer, right? So, um, you know, you want to wait for the next season of Ted Lasso or something to come up. (laughs) up, So you just put yourself in the freezer and you wait, and then your friends just flip the switch. Um, that could be quite handy, actually. I could go for that. Um, and, and that, that actually affected- vaguely reminds me of the the aliens from um, the Three Body Problem too. Uh, that, I was thinking that of those. Dry, they dry out, right? Desiccated. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but that, but so that would be quite handy. Actually, that could be quite nice. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just reminded me of one image from the Three Body Problem where there's a planet where they, uh, yeah, they basically dry themselves out completely over some periodicity. And uh, that they stack themselves inside like lockers, basically. <laughs> Wasn't that one of the images? <laughs> You'll save the, solve the overpopulation problem too. Yeah, yeah, they were just stacking um, them up. Oh, Gab, you mentioned something else in passing that I wanted to uh, tag is that there's different forms of ice, right? We think yeah. of ice as being oh. sort of one um, thing, but there's lots of different ways that 
water molecules can arrange themselves in a solid form. Um, and some of those have different properties. Um, and I think a lot of people encountered this actually through Kurt Vonnegut's novel, yes, um, Cat's Cradle, I remember this, in which he, he imagines that there's a form of ice um, that can happen at, at room temperature essentially. So it doesn't have to get cold for ice or for water to become solid. Um, uh, and then he imagines the, the disasters that, that come from that. And it's a, it's a wonderful warning <laughs> about scientific hubris and such. Yeah. Uh, and so I think one of the, the interesting things that that novel brings up is that actually there could be different forms of ice out there that we just haven't encountered for mm. whatever reason. Um, so maybe there is some form of uh, solid water that has different properties, right? That's that's a possible thing. Um, and we just haven't encountered whatever strange environmental conditions are necessary for that to happen. Um, but it could be. Right? Yeah. So uh, lastly, to run, we like to run as far as possible with these things. And actually, what I'm curious about is um, if it, it, does this change physics in some way in other words, in order to make this happen, that water, instead of having its highest density at four degrees Celsius, has it at zero or below, um, does that require physics to be changed in some way that therefore all kinds of other crazy things have happened now? Yeah, this is what we need a quantum chemist for. Um, ah. <laughs> because for, for this to happen, um, we need to change the, uh, something about the, the actual structure of the polarity of the water molecule, um, uh, which is way beyond me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if there's any quantum chemists listening, um, if we have a quantum chemist in the house, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like you're, you're on the airliner and they say, is yeah, there a quantum yeah. chemist on board? That's right. Um, uh, let us know and you can come join us and, and fill us in on that. Um, cause I think it would have the, the, the thought experiment would have to go. What about physics would change to allow this to be the case? Um, right. and I have no idea. Yeah. Right. I, right. I do big stuff, not small stuff. Exactly. Universe, exactly. Universes, not molecules. So if we run run very far with the idea of the hibernation, though, that could be quite fascinating. What do you imagine if we jump a thousand years in the future? Or would, would it have affected our time? Like, would, we would actually, perhaps, there might be prehistoric creatures that lived longer. Oh, that might have survived the asteroid or something like that if they just went and hibernated. Uh, well, true. That's a good strategy um, to survive, say, an impact winter um, yeah. or bad winters in general. Um, I think it would probably mean that there are no... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Gabby. Oh, no, I, I think it sort of goes both ways in reverse, right? Where previously mm. water was a great way to hide out through an ice age extinction event because you just stay under the ice. And that uh, was liquid right. water, and you would mostly be fine and insulated from any more volatile changes changes that are happening above the surface. Now that kind of might be the other way that if things can freeze completely through, that might be better. And much like uh, Matt's reference to the desiccating creatures from the three body problem, you probably would see more and more and more life adapting to freeze completely yeah. with the winter in order to survive. Or I wonder if then you'd see more investment in things that are like antifreeze proteins to make the water less dense than it is now so that that thing can stay awake through the winter and eat all of the things that are frozen solid. Oh, that's a good, that's a good trick. So I, I, I imagine that this would probably greatly stratify life on Earth between cold hibernating and by hibernating i don't mean the typical way where a thing reduces its metabolism but is still normally i mean like like cryogenic life versus yeah. things that stay awake and prey on everything that can't hide well enough while it's frozen be weird in some ways uh um fishing or things like that would become more like agriculture because you wouldn't have to, uh, you, you, when the water's unfroze, when it's liquid, you could go fishing and try to catch the fish as they're alive. But in the winter, you could just wait. Maybe this is what they do. I don't know, in ice fishing, they're, they're still looking for fish that are alive under the ice. So yeah, this would be more just like, there'd be just some, a river would freeze completely, and you'd just go out there with your uh, bulldozer or something, and you, you know, or an ice pick, and just pick up big chunks of ice and take it home and thaw it, and there's your, uh, all the fish that were frozen in there, you now have uh, as dinner. Would that be correct? 
Uh, well, so, yeah, like that, so that would be a good example of what what Gabby was was suggesting that some yeah. some critters would e- would evolve as a strategy going out and or and having a slightly different um, hibernation chemistry such that they could stay alive um, and eat everybody else who had just gone to sleep. That's right. Um, That's right. So we, uh, yeah. which is a good strategy. It's like being the last person to fall asleep at a sleepover. Right? That's right. You get to go <laughs> over and and draw on people's faces with a sharpie and things like that. <laughs> and I think I should point out maybe before we wrap up that there is actually, I think, two organisms I can think of that can be completely frozen and then thawed back out. Mm. Uh, Not necessarily through human intervention. Hamsters, their natural state is not ice cube. Um, (laughs) But wood frogs, there are species of wood frogs that do freeze completely all the way through in winter. And I believe tardigrades, they're called algae bears. They're like these... Truly fascinating organisms that can survive like the vacuum of space too. Yeah, wild little dudes. I, but I believe they also can be frozen and thawed, and are pretty fine with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're waiting on one of the great experiments that has uh, inadvertently been thrust upon us is mm-hmm. when the Israeli uh, satellite to the moon crashed, and then they said, "Oh, we had some tardig." By the way, we had some tardigrades on it, so they are sitting all. I imagine the radiation would kill them, but. Uh, well, Perhaps. they're pretty tough vis-a-vis radiation too, so we will oh, see. Yeah, yeah, that'd be amazing. Who knows? They're having a, a kosher party, kosher Israeli uh, picnic up on the moon. Um, so, uh, lastly, I think it would also be correct to say that the Titanic would have survived. The Titanic would not have run into an iceberg because icebergs would not float. That's right. Icebergs are no longer uh, a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which uh, I should say also makes um, global warming more problematic too. Oh. Oh, every, everything that was currently floating is now going to be at the bottom and then pushing the sea levels up too. So, watch right, because the icebergs and the ice on top of the water reflects the sun, so at least helps some helps mitigate some global warming. You're saying, right? With no with no reflective surface on top of the ocean, it heats up faster. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Martin. And uh, by the way, I gotta say, Freya must have become riveted to this story. Uh, she fell asleep. Um, <laughs> Martin, predi- Martin predicted it. This is how it is with puppies: is you'll get twenty minutes of total chaos and disaster, uh, okay. and then they will fall unconscious for a couple hours and, and look all peaceful while they sleep. Right, only to but, rise again. Uh, yeah, you would not want to see what the floor of my office looks like right now. Actually, I'll, <laughs> I'll text it to you. So you yes, yes, excellent. Um, well, thank you, Martin, and thank you, Gabby, and thank you, Matt, for helping us through this incredible uh, experiment. And uh, also, you know, thank you to, as we mentioned, our newest member, Connie, who has joined us at the Cosmic Vortex level. If you would like to join us at the Cosmic Vortex level or any of the other levels, maybe we need to add an Ice-9 level. That would, maybe that'd be <laughs> the lowest level. <laughs> we'll send you some Ice-9 as a, uh, as a reward. Um, join us at patreon.com slash what the if and again thank you again to Dan for his nice comments in the mailbag Um, Gabby do you have anything you'd like to uh, plug this week I do actually Uh, this week I was on I I will admit I was on another podcast oh wow Um, (laughs) it was a professor of mine from uh, Stony Brook where I went for my undergrad Mm. he has a podcast where he essentially interviews past students and talks about the role. He was a, a writing professor, writer and writing and rhetoric professor, and uh. Uh, interviews past students about the role that you know mm-hmm. writing and communication and stuff has played in their lives. And when he sent out the email to everyone, I of course responded because it has taken over my life in a manner of speaking. Uh, that a huge chunk of what I do now as a scientist is is communicating science and also writing science fiction. Um, so if you're curious about hearing me just you know talk not science for a chunk of time. Uh, the podcast is Students of Life, and I I can share with you the link, Phil, but okay. uh, specifically the link I got was through Podbean. Okay. So right. you can search it through there, and I think I'm the first episode of the revamp. He sort cool. of like relaunched it, so I don't know exactly where I am in the feed, but just look cool. for my name. All right. Yeah, and by the way, generally, any podcast is available on typically all um all the apps. So if you search whatever app you have for Students of Life or just Google it. Uh, but yeah, I'll post, Gabby will send me a link. I'll put it in the show notes. That's excellent, Students of Life. And what's your professor's name? 
Uh, his name is Joseph Labriola. Joseph, thank you, sir, professor. That's a great idea, Matt. Have all of your students. Yeah, that would be very cool, actually. I should start yeah. gathering them up. Yeah. I did poke fun at my poor partner because both of us actually had this professor, but uh-huh. of the two of us, I got an A in the class and he did not. So I assumed <laughs> that there was some filtering in who got emailed. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was kind of making fun of him. I was like, you gotta be so you don't get invited. That's no, it's funny. funny. That's, <laughs> that's funny. funny. That's a great idea. Yeah, do well in this class and you will also become a podcast guest for life. <laughs> Only a few few are chosen. Um, that's very cool. Is is part of the uh, part of the the shtick of his show that uh, he uh, t- is basically testing the students to see if they still remember things he taught them. I I don't think deliberately, or at least that didn't that didn't come up in, yeah. in my specific case. Uh, but I do remember it was it was a really good class in undergrad. So when I got the email, I was like, absolutely, I'll do this. That's awesome. I remember our, our whole, like, we had to do, like, a persuasive essay, you know, because they'll run you through the different types of writing that you have to do. Yeah. But he had just gotten a parking ticket. And so he was like, <laughs> all right, this is exactly the kind of persuasive essay you're going to have to write as an adult. <laughs> oh, that's so write, a, that's write how to get out of a parking ticket, like. A persuasive essay on that. That's funny. You just gave me a funny idea to another strange uh, fantasy guest type concept of using uh, uh, AI guests. You could do a class. You could do a podcast where you had famous people like Einstein as a student, and you kind of gave them. You were giving them a test. You know, hmm. you could like test Einstein. That'd be kind of fun. Um, Matt, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, no, things are pretty quiet for me for the next um, month or so. All right. Does Freya have anything she would like to plug? Uh, she would like to plug the deliciousness of human flesh. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. Uh, Gabby, would you help us understand now our uh, closing ceremony? And with us, with a note that, by the way, the closing ceremony is for everybody. It's a safety procedure for all of us. But Patreon guests uh, will get a special bonus episode on the other side of the fanfare. Um, so on your page, on our Patreon page, our guests will get the extended episode, which will continue with Matt and Gabby and Freya, of course. Um, but, uh, so if, if you, if you want to get more, if, uh, go to patreon.com. And, um, so Gabby, why, what is this now? What, what is about to happen? How, what safety protocols are being, uh, engaged? Yeah. To, uh, to close out the portal to this strange reality that we've opened where our Arctic's seas are complete blocks of ice (laughs) from ground from bottom to top and we freeze solid every winter we cannot help but shout the name of the show what the thank you everyone above four degrees celsius and all of you below uh, a shout out to our fellow uh, humans who have been surviving the smoke of the forest fires from the Canadian uh, air has been sweeping across two countries. Uh, we hope all's well with you. Let us know how you've been surviving. Write in like Dan and Martin. Tell us what you think. Send us your ideas. We'll see you next week. <laughs>